What is up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time. Today's guest is a return guest, a repeat guest, if you will. Back to talk more blockchain, more metaverse, more NFTs. Michael Dershoni, welcome back into TMT Time. Hey, thanks for having me, Evan. I'm having you back because since we recorded last time, the two of us have gotten even more down into the metaverse wormhole and our listeners are clamoring for more content on it. So welcome back. Let's get going talking about NFTs. Everybody knows who you are already. What is on your mind right now in the digital downloadable space? What's on my mind right now is the interplay between intellectual property and NFTs, because there is a ton of confusion in the space about what people are getting when they're buying, what people are actually selling. I think it's probably important to clear up some of that confusion. I agree with you, because obviously, as you know, we get that question all the time. What do I, so I have this photograph or I have this piece of art. Can I make an NFT? What do I do and who owns it? And what about my intellectual property? Yeah, so if you are making an NFT and it's an original piece of artwork, right? In that instance, you would be the copyright holder. The problem is, is that in a lot of instances, people are taking non-original pieces of art and promoting it as if they're transferring the rights in the art to someone else. And so that's creating, I think, a lot of issues um, and confusion in particular. But at bare bones, I think it's important to remember that with NFTs, what you're purchasing is, in effect, a token. And that token may point to another piece of art, but it's not necessarily ownership over the artwork, unless it's explicitly said that you have ownership over it. So one of like the big points of confusion is when people purchase a piece of NFT artwork, they may just automatically assume, okay, I own this now. I can do whatever I want with it. I can make a derivative project. I can use it for commercial use. And the truth is, is that without those kind of rights being expressly conveyed, there are no like intellectual property rights that kind of get passed along with an NFT. So we're seeing this play out all over the place. Obviously, some of our listeners may have seen what happened with the, the book Dune uh, and yep. the, the, you know, the movie which came out on HBO Max. Yeah, the movie was okay, but I think got nominated for some Oscars. Honestly, I thought it was a little slow. Didn't even keep me going while I was riding a, an outside uh, Peloton ride, but I digress. So, Michael, what happened in the Dune, in the Dune case? Yeah, so in the Dune case, you had an entity um, known as the Spice Dow uh, who paid $3 million for an original 1975 copy of Dune. Um, just as a little bit of background, that price was like well, well over asking price. I think like a hundred times over asking price. Um, what was the it, fact like that flex, like I can pay a hundred times more than asking. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's not. It's kind of like reverse bartering. It's not something I think, at least I would recommend doing. But, but effectively, they purchased it and they plan to make the book free to the public and produce a limited series along with it. The problem with that is purchasing the book didn't confer any copyrights in the underlying work, right? So like I could go out and purchase, I mean, I've purchased the book Dune. Um, I don't have rights to do whatever I want with it. Uh, and if someone goes out really? and buys- Really, you don't know the copyrights? How could you not? What? I, I don't know, it's, a, you know, it's bad, but who knows? But, um, but yeah, and so 
you know, just it's, I think a lot of common sense is important in this space. So like if you were to go out and buy, for example, like an original edition Batman comic book, common sense would dictate you own the book. You know, you don't necessarily own the rights underneath it. And in the NFT space, it's not really any different. You could though still mint uh, cool, you know, like iPhone photography with like cool shading and stuff like Snapchat style or whatever it is of your comic and mint the NFTs and you don't own the NFTs, you can sell those, but you don't own the copyrights on right, right? Yeah, I mean, we're getting into, I think at that point, you know, how broadly a person's copyright in their, in their underlying work extends. So, you know, obviously a copyright holder has the, you know, exclusive right to do derivative works and, and such. And so, you know, that gets kind of into a traditional copyright analysis, you know, whether or not the NFT you minted is transformative or whether it's a derivative project. Um, yeah, I, yeah the- I did. I, I led you into the fair use analysis on purpose, though. <laughs> Um, right, it would be an individual analysis under the four fair use factors. Have I done enough with my cool iPhone stuff? And this issue is actually in front of the Supreme Court potentially in the Andy Warhol case. So yes, I I walked you into that. Sorry, Michael. No, it's okay. I think I I think I remember you talking about that that webinar you did recently. Yeah, that's right. Everybody should check that out. Also, in addition to downloading all of our podcasts. Yeah, but I mean this this you know this issue comes up a lot. So. So, you know, what happens when you purchase it? What do you get? Now, I think there's kind of an ancillary issue here. Um, and we haven't seen too much like litigation activity in this space yet. But I think it's right potentially for some like secondary, um, you know, infringement type issues. But you run into the issue when somebody takes an NFT artwork and has no intellectual property rights in it, but effectively conveys that they do. And then they also convey to purchasers that when they purchase it, now they'll have intellectual property rights in it. And this happened recently with a, um, um, an NFT of an artwork from an artist called Jean-Michel Basquiat, where the seller on OpenSea um, actually claimed wrongly that the transaction would confer ownership of the physical painting and the purchaser would obtain reproduction rights. Neither of those is true. So you can imagine a scenario in which somebody purchases an NFT thinking they have certain rights in it when they don't, and then going ahead and, and, you know, maybe unknowingly infringing on the copyright where the liability in that kind of scenario could fall. Yeah. So that, that, I mean, look, that's IP adjacent. There could be a contract claim there. The person or the marketplace has to have terms of service that are clear um, and what they tell the, the users or the purchases, what rights they're getting. Um, because, you know, there is a, uh, that p- potential for serious confusion amongst the parties. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned terms of services, because I think, you know, this is one of those spaces where, um, you know, traditionally, like I may, I may have like iTunes terms of service, like pop up on my phone when I do an update. Um, no, you can't get them off your screen fast enough. How do I yeah, get them off? I mean, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't, you know, hold this against me as a lawyer for not reading the terms of services on that. Um, but in the NFT space, I mean, really digging into the terms of service is important. I mean, there are certain projects out there, for example, where you might think you're actually obtaining the NFT, but for one reason or another, it's not actually transferred to your you know, own cryptographic wallet. So thinking about StockX, for example, um, StockX recently released a series of you know, sneaker NFTs. And if you read their terms of services, they talk about how the NFTs are stored in their you know, own internal wallet, 
as opposed to being transferred to the user's wallet. And that creates you know, other issues of ownership. For example, if, I'm not, if I don't physically have possession of my NFT, if it's not in my wallet, you know, what could happen to it? And I think in that particular example, um, the terms of services make pretty clear that they could take your NFT at any time. The people that house it in their wallet can take it. Exactly. Right. And that's if it's, just like, if it's found to be an infringement or for some other reason. No, no, literally for any reason. I, yeah. I think I think the specific thing they pointed to was, you know, if we want to use um, the NFT or like the underlying product as uh, for some kind of promotional event, you know, oops, you're out of luck. It's ours. So, you know, that's yeah. one thing to think about. You know, another thing with respect to ownership, which I don't think probably gets enough attention, is that you know the actual artwork, right? Um, the thing that's associated with the non-fungible token, you know, isn't typically stored on the blockchain, right? It's stored, you know, in some other platform, some private or centralized server. And the token really just points to it. It refers to it. And in that instance too, you know, you got to wonder, you know, who has kind of the archival responsibility to make sure that that NFT and the image associated with it, you know, are constantly viewable, um, if one of these servers go down or the people stop paying whatever hosting fees, you know, you could open up your crypto wallet one day and just see that poof, your artwork disappears. Right. But that's supposed to be one of the benefits of the blockchain though, was the, the decentralized storage. It's not theoretically stored in any one place. And so it should be available, but you're right. I mean, it could go away, I suppose. Yeah. So that's the distinction, right? I mean, the token is stored on the blockchain, but the artwork the art itself, yeah. the thing that someone actually, you know, for the most part, I think cares about, um, is not so it's in a way you know it's not fully decentralized in that aspect because there is a reliance on these on these kind of like centralized servers platforms but it's you know it's just another one of a series of issues i think people are trying to work out right now there, there's also the case where the nft is an image of a real life article um, it could be a bottle of, of fine wine expensive alcohol or even art itself. Did you see this thing that's going on with the Picasso family right now? Yeah, I did. So I guess as of today, today's the last day of January, 2022, the proposed Picasso NFT, NFT drop, which was teased by the picture of one of the Picasso heirs, the underside of a, a ceramic piece of ceramic art. You couldn't even see what it was. Um, they got John Legend on board. They were gonna do this huge dro NFT drop. And then it's like, wait a minute, here comes the Picasso Foundation and says, no, you can't do that. We own all that and you can't sell the NFTs. Right. I mean, on the, on the plus side, there's a lot of uh, excitement in the space and people are constantly thinking of new art to push out and new utility cases for it. Um, but obviously there are some no-go zones and where you don't own the underlying rights, it's pretty safely a no-go zone. It's the, the foundation of the Quentin Tarantino Pulp Fiction lawsuit that's going on right now between Merrimax and, and Quentin Tarantino. Who owns the rights to Pulp Fiction? You saw that uh, Tarantino went ahead and sold one of the NFTs of the Royale with cheese scene from Pulp Fiction for over a million bucks, despite the fact the litigation is ongoing and there's an ongoing dispute whether he actually has the rights to do that. Yep, yep, did see that. All right. So what are the other IP related issues that you're looking at in the NFT space right now? Yeah, not to delve too far away from copyrights. Um, but one thing that's becoming very popular is 
the use of Creative Commons zero licenses or CC zero licenses for NFT projects. So effectively what that is, it's a, it's a license that's drafted by the Creative Commons organization and it you know, gives to the extent legally possible the underlying rights to the public domain. Right. Shout out Molly Van Howling, former guest of TNT, who is at the board of the Creative Commons. Keep going. Yep. Shout out indeed. Um, the, so the cool thing about this in the NFT space, um, and there's a lot of projects that have utilized CC0 licenses like Blitmaps, MFers, you know, cryptos. The fun thing about it is it effect opens the door for derivative projects. So if, if you know, you're part of a community and you buy the underlying NFT and you're a CC0, it's not uncommon then to have a number of derivative projects that come out after the fact. And it kind of keeps the community going and it keeps the artwork going in a way that's a lot of fun for the users. Now, as an IP attorney, there are like obviously a number of concerns with that. One is, you know, in our, in our day-to-day job, we're often thinking about how to preserve rights and how to use rights. Um, it's really difficult to do that when you give those rights away, right? And there are certain things I think brands should consider when they're thinking about you know, adopting or using a CC0 license. One of those being, you know, is the brand okay with losing control over certain derivative works? So imagine, for example, that um, you create an NFT of uh, backpacks, like unique backpacks, right? And you give it out under a CC0 license. What happens then if a derivative project comes out where they want to create a project that uses the backpacks, but then shows them being filled with things like guns or drugs or things that could be you know, really damaging to a brand. In the instance of a CC0 license, you, know, you lose a lot of the ability to kind of police your, your artwork and your copyrights in that kind of way. So if you're a luxury brand that really guards and protects your value, this is not something that you would suggest them pursuing. Not necessarily. I mean, I think, it, I think you have to take kind of like the holistic approach to it. Um, you know, there are other ways to maybe get around these. There, for example, you know, certain marketplaces may have in their terms of services that they can remove certain artwork if it, you know, violates their, their kind of like community guidelines. I, I don't think that's probably a very effective route going about it. There are other types of IP that you could potentially use. I think one important thing to remember with a CC0 license is that it really only commits the copyrights to the public domain. You know, the brand still maintains, for example, the right to um, have trademarks in the brand. And so perhaps, you know, there's a way to use the trademarks to say, you know, this derivative project is hurting our brand name. It's hurting our trade name. So there, there are ways to get around it. But I, I think generally speaking, you know, as an, I, as an IP attorney, like my first gut reaction is like, you know, IP is important, hold on to it. But as a member of the NFT community, I, I also like fully realize that it's important to kind of engage with the community and give people the, you know, certain rights to have fun and build on top of a lot of these projects. So last time we gave the listeners a bit of the, here's what an NFT is, what non-fungible token means, what the blockchain is. Uh, and how to mint an NFT. Obviously, since that time, there have been an unbelievable amount of companies entering into the NFT space or entering into the so-called metaverse. And there's been a proliferation of projects. Yep. What 
are some things that you're advising clients or we're seeing and we're advising clients on to doing to help them protect their IP before they wade into the, the metaverse? Sure. So I think the first thing kind of going back to this copyright issue we talked about is give more than a passing thought really to, to how you want to maintain the rights in the underlying artwork. I think it's a discussion that really has to be had, you know, A, in the legal context, but B, in the context of the NFT community as a whole, how the brand wants to come across in the NFT community. With respect to trademarks, trademarks can be a very powerful tool for protecting one's brand. And in the NFT space, there's a number of things that people can do to, you know, increase the reach of their, you know, trademark rights um, to protect against products that may infringe on their trademarks in the NFT space. Like, for example, you know, creating, amending trademarks to include within their goods of services, you know, certain categories such as like downloadable digital goods um, and things along those lines, which, you know, is important because most brands, right, are entering the NFT space. They didn't start there. So you can imagine for a lot of brands, they might have their goods of services identified as t-shirts or apparel or equipment or something along those lines. Yeah. I and, actually saw Walmart file brand new registrations. It's, it looked to me like Walmart may be setting up their own either cryptocurrency or an NFT marketplace itself um, because they filed, not only do they amend registrations to add within the classes that you're talking about, they also filed standalone registrations themselves. Is that something that you, you're advising clients to do if they're entering in this, the the new blockchain metaverse crypto space? Yeah, I think it's going to ultimately be important. So, you know, right now there's, you know, very few legal cases that kind of address these rights, right, within the NFT context or the metaverse context. But, you know, as they continue, the more that companies can kind of, you know, alter their rights to make sure that they cover particular applications, it, it could be helpful down the line in litigation. All right. Last, last topic is domain names. I know this is a, a pet issue of yours. Tell our listeners why they should be concerned in looking at domain names in, in the crypto space. Yeah. So NFTs are not just about art. Uh, you know, you can actually mint as an NFT uh, decentralized domain names. Um, one large marketplace, for example, is called Unstoppable Domains, which does that. Now, one issue with this that hasn't popped up yet, but you can imagine it likely will pop up in the future is the use cases for these, for these uh, cryptographic domain names. So one of the main use cases for them is that you can use these domain names to create decentralized websites. Now, decentralized websites differ from traditional websites in the sense that all of the domain assets are stored in a person's cryptographic wallet as opposed to custodians like GoDaddy or Google domains. And so in that instance, it could be very difficult, especially if the owner of the domain name is not known to, to effectively take down a website that for example, sells counterfeit goods. So it's actually funny enough, kind of a selling point for a lot of these companies. So I mentioned unstoppable domains before, and you know they actually have on their website an explanation that a blockchain domain is quote unquote, stored in your cryptocurrency wallet and controlled by you. So no company or court order can take it, right? Initially, very scary words for attorneys. And it's something that, you know, is going to require really creative solutions down the line and something that Evan, I know, you know, you and I are constantly thinking about. 
but you know, a lot of these brands already have these domain names being purchased and being transferred. And once that happens, you know, the company that sells the domain names doesn't have the ability to kind of take it back. So for example, you know, um, you could see, uh, and I don't have like a particular one off the top of my head because there's so many, but you know, you might have like a Microsoft.eth or, uh, um, you know, you name the brand .eth or .crypto or .nil or something along those Arnold lines. Porter. Exactly. Exactly. This is part of our sale to the, the law firm to take up residence in the metaverse. Preferably yeah. in a sandbox somewhere near Snoop Dogg's house. Yeah, that would be nice. So uh, before we sign off, a couple of quick hits for me that I'd love to get your take on. One, the Beebs got in on the Board 8 Yacht Club for over a million bucks over the weekend. Last night, apparently one of the highest uh, selling Board 8 Yacht Clubs sold with golden furs, Board 8 232 sold for nearly $3 million. And that's at the current valuation of ETH, which is lower. It's like 20% down from its peak. So, I mean, people are obviously buying these novelty NFTs. Um, and, and in the big collections, the big drops, that's still happening. And they're flexing them in their Twitter and their Instagram. And Jimmy Fallon's doing it on late night. Or, and so um, what do you see? Like, what's the best utility case outside of this? novelty case that we have right now for nfts and and uh where do you think it's going from there god i mean there is a utility case for everything and it's coming out on the daily for example you know people treating nfts like uh memberships to exclusive communities uh if you have an nft you can go to a particular restaurant um there are pretty creative uses of nfts in the metaverse you know one example i like to point to a lot is um the casinos and Decentraland, um, where actually the portions of the casinos themselves, which have you know slot machines and, and other types of gaming on them, are NFTs. And you can actually make profit based on the, the coins that are used there, in, in this instance, mana. Um, so you have that as an example. Obviously, wearables, I think, is going to be a really big thing uh, as more and more people kind of explore these uh, metaverse-related applications. It really, I mean, it's, it's boundless. I mean, if you, if you can think of a, a idea on why you would need to record ownership for something or why someone would want to have proof that they own something, there's an NFT application for it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's real estate. There's real estate being sold in the metaverse. Sotheby's is, has sold a house in the metaverse. Uh, I think it's, everyone's going to be trailing and... Um, the big brands that are getting into it. And we're, you know, beginning of 2022, we're starting to see everyone going full bore that all the utilities not there yet, but um, don't get left out. And as Michael and I say, don't forget about your IP rights. Yep. All right, man. Thanks so much for joining us again. We're going to get you back in here and probably do this more frequently since the news is coming hot and heavy in the metaverse and NFT space here in 2022. Awesome. Can't wait to be back, Evan.